Psalm 106 and the last psalm in book four of the Psalms. It's a long one, it's a historical psalm, so let's journey through. Praise Yahweh. Give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, his loving kindness endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of Yahweh or fully declare his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice. Blessed is one who does what is right at all times. Remember me, Yahweh, with the favour that you show to your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers didn't understand your wonders in Egypt. They didn't remember the multitude of your loving kindnesses but were rebellious at the sea, even the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it was dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries, there was not one of them left. Then they believed his words and sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They didn't wait for his counsel, but gave in to craving in the desert and tested God in the wasteland. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses in the camp and Aaron, Yahweh's saint. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. A fire was, was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for an image of a bull that eats grass. They forgot God their saviour who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them. Had Moses his chosen not stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath so that he wouldn't destroy them. Yes, they despised the pleasant land they didn't believe his word, but they murmured in their tents and didn't listen to Yahweh's voice. Therefore, he swore to them that he would overthrow them in the wilderness, that he would overthrow their offspring among the nations and scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves to Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds. The plague broke in on them. Then Phineas stood up and executed judgment, so the plague was stopped. That was credited to him for righteousness for all generations to come. They angered him also at the waters of Meribah, so that Moses was troubled for their sakes. Because they were rebellious against his spirit, he spoke rashly with his lips. They didn't destroy the peoples as Yahweh commanded them, but mixed themselves with the nations and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. Yes, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons, they shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. The land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled with their works and prostituted themselves in their deeds. Therefore, Yahweh burned with anger against his people and abhorred his inheritance. He gave them into the hand of the nations. Those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. They were brought into subjection under their hand. He rescued them many times. But they were rebellious in their counsel and were brought low in their iniquity. Nevertheless, 
He regarded their distress when he heard their cry. He remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. He made them also to be pitied by those who carried them away captive. Save us, Yahweh our God. Gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise Yah. All right, the last psalm in book four, as we mentioned, and it's two other things as well. It's the third of the four historical psalms, which we were talking about that in the last chapter. Historical psalms are psalms which account like the history of the children of Israel, and they tend to be longer psalms because of that. The last historical psalm was previous chapter, 105, and it was very much focused on how God fulfills his word and it didn't mention anything about the failings of God's people, of which there were many. This psalm <laughs> is all about the failings of God's people. You know, they did this, they did this, they did this, and then every now and then be a nevertheless, God rescued them, or, you know, or God rescued them many, the time, many times. So this is a historical psalm, but very much about how God was faithful and kind to them, despite the fact that they are sheer and utter ratbags. And um, so if you've ever sung the song Amazing Grace, how sweet a sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, I once was lost, but now I'm fine, but found was blind, but now I see. Well, you know, when we sing that, we all identify with being the wretch and we all identify with being the blind that now can see. Well, that's what this psalm is like on a grand level. Israel was the wretch. Israel was the blind, but God rescued them. So it's a great psalm of praise because of look what God has done, but it's definitely not um, pointing out that people are any good. They're not. And uh, so this psalm is the third of the historical psalms, and there's one more to come, Psalm 136. But this psalm is also the first of 10 hallelujah psalms. So there are 10 psalms which are called the hallelujah psalms. They're mostly all in a bunch. There's this one, Psalm 106, and then there's Psalms 111, 112, 113, not 114 for some reason, but then 115, 16, 17, 18, 19, and then the last one, Psalm 150. All of these are the Hallelujah Psalms, and the reason why they're called that is they all start with Hallelujah, and they all end with Hallelujah. So they're like a bracketed, that's called an inclusio, by the way, where you've got a set of words, beginning and end, and then a bunch of stuff in between. That's called the inclusio. So these are all... <coughs> excuse me, hallelujah psalms. In this version of the Bible, it doesn't say hallelujah, it says praise Yah, which Yah is God, praise God, and that's the literal translation into English. If you were going to translate hallelujah in English, you would write praise God. If you're going to translate it into any other language, it would be those two words. Hallelujah is the, is the universal word. Now, if you don't know what I mean by that, it's like literally, it's the word which is the same in every language. Every language in the entire world, hallelujah, is the word that's the same. You can go into any culture, language, tribe, and if you say hallelujah, chances are someone else will know what that word means. Often every other word gets translated or changed. I, I remember being told this by somebody who said, oh, the universal word is hallelujah. I, I googled it to just make sure it was correct 
and uh, there was anth- this website written by anthropologists or whatever, and they said there is no universal word. The only there's only a universal sound, which is huh or huh. So they were making out that there was no word that was the same in every language in the world. But they were obviously not thinking in terms of the Bible because every time the Bible is translated into a new language and it's now made it into thousands of them, hallelujah is always the same. And Christians all around the world in every tribe, nation, language and tongue, they all say hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. It's the universal word. Anthropologists just haven't caught up with it. So this is the first of 10 hallelujah psalms, which start and finish with hallelujah. So let's put, just consider briefly a few verses. Verse 2, who can after the mighty acts of Yahweh or fully declare his praise? Nobody. God has done so much. It is not possible that any single person knows the extent of it all. We don't even know the extent of our own sins, which, by the way, God's forgiven us of. So how can we say know the extent of all that God has done when we don't even know the extent of it ourselves. Verse 8, Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. This nevertheless props up several times through this psalm, and it's all about God. We have messed up our lives. Nevertheless, God saved them for his name's sake. If you think God saved you for your sake, Well, that is true to a certain point because he loves you very much, but God also saved you for his own name's sake too. Verse 12, they believed his words and sang his praise. It was temporary because the children of Israel had been delivered by God right then at the Red Sea. They believed, they saw what he did, the drowning of the Egyptians. They believed his words and sang his praise right then. The very next verse says, but then they forgot. People are like that a lot. People see what God has done, but then they so quickly forget and they get used to the idea. Like God brings you into a new place, then you get used to it and you don't appreciate it anymore and you forget what God has done. Everyone does it. We have to be very vigilant. Verse 15, it says, He gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. So the children of Israel in the desert were grumbling and complaining. They were crying out to God for meat. And um, so he gave them the meat, he gave them their request, but then he sent leanness into their soul. I've written here that this is one of the saddest verses in the scriptures. It shows us that having our prayers answered is not always good. We must know the will of God and not push God into places he, we are not supposed to go. I don't think that God... because so, so they were grumbling and complaining and saying, you know, you're not looking after us, give us meat. So they were, they were praying, so to speak, by asking God for things, but it wasn't coming from a place of faith and it wasn't coming from a place of gratitude. It was coming from a place of bitterness and anger and you're not taking care of us, give us meat, kind of like a do what we say or else. So God answered their prayer but sent leanness into their soul. In other words, the result was they got what they wanted but it didn't change them and make them any better. They became worse as a result. It's sad in the scripture because it's, it's, it's an example of God being kind to people, God's kindness at work, and yet the result is that they become worse as a result of his kindness. That's not how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to go to the Lord. And I think if the children of Israel had have been grateful, 
They said, Lord, thank you for all you're doing for us. Thank you for delivering us from slavery. Could we please have some meat as well? I think a genuine request the Lord hears prayers like that. And then when you get that request, you're even more grateful. It doesn't send leanness into your soul. And so I don't think you can look at answered prayer as proof that God's with you or proof that you're spiritual. Because we can see from this type of illustration, sometimes people get things they ask for, but it's not any good for them. And it doesn't mean they're walking with the Lord at all. Verse 21, they forgot God, their saviour, who had done great things in Egypt. How can you forget? I don't know, but people do. People grow up in church. They see God do the most amazing things. They see answers to prayer, and yet somehow, a few years later, they say they, they've turned their back on the Lord. How? It's a mystery. But pray for grace that it will not happen to you and will not happen to your children. Verse 37, they're now in the promised land. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They were supposed to cast the children, the, the people who were in the land out before them, but they didn't do it, another one of their failings. And next thing, they're copying their evil example, which was sacrificing children in the fire to demons. <coughs> the demons, of course, were the, the idols that were in the land, the false gods. And those false gods had a worship system which involved the sacrificing of your children so it was evil, evil practice. And it was the reason, one of the big reasons why God wanted those people removed because that was a horrible, hideous thing that had to be taken out of the earth and God was wanting it removed. But they did not do it. They ended up copying that example. And it says here, verse 38, they shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and daughters who sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with the blood. So that is, they polluted the land with their blood by doing two things, by sacrificing their own children, but also they did it in the name of worshipping these other gods that were not true. And um, abortion is a bit like that. Abortion is all about, uh, it's definitely killing your own children, and so it's similar in that sense, but it's all about the convenience of a better life. When, you know, people in the, the land of Canaan didn't just kill their children just because. It's not just, oh, God wants me to kill my children, I better go do it. It was not that. It was the fact that they believed very, like they believed that these false gods, like the God of Baal and some of these other false gods, they believed that they were like fertility gods. So they believed that if they sacrificed their children to that God, the God would then make their crops grow better. In other words, they were basically believing to be wealthier, healthier, and have a better life. So they thought if we sacrifice one of our children, we're going to have a better life. And that's the, that is the reason why people have bought children today. They think, my life is going to be ruined if I have this child. I need to get rid of it. So basically, I need to get rid of this kid so I have a better life. So it's the exact same motivation behind sacrificing to idols back then and abortion today both of them are killing your own children and both of them are worshiping you know basically worshiping a demon and uh, i know that's horrible to say and i know there's a big debate about it and i know we as christians um, must have a lot of room in our heart to love people who think differently to forgive people who've been through been through it if people go through it then they have regrets to love them accept them and to say you know it'll be okay and and um 
But if people are in the middle of making a choice, to encourage them to say, don't kill your own children. And um, so, yeah, the Lord made everyone. We are his, we're creatures. Each person is eternal. And people are important. We're made in the image of God. And we don't want to undervalue the meaning and the power of how important life truly is. Verse 45, it says, God remembered them for his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. So here's an example where the Bible says God repents. <laughs> and um, it just means that God changed his mind. Now, God knew he was going to change his mind, but um, God basically wanted to destroy them because they were evil. But you know Moses interceded for them and God you know, relented to Moses' prayer changed his mind. He repented, so to speak. Well, it's just the mercy and the love of God. What God really wanted was for the prayers to be prayed. He really wanted to show mercy and kindness, and he needed the prayer for that to happen, to take place. Finally, in verse 48, blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Praise Yah. And that praise Yah, that's the hallelujah that finishes the chapter, because it's a hallelujah psalm. And it's also the last verse of book four, and that means it was the doxology. So the doxology is kind of like a, a little blessing at the end of every book of the Psalms. So the end of this book four, it's got let all the people say, Amen, Hallelujah. There's your doxology right at the end. So we've been through an interesting, interesting Psalm, Psalm 106, a historical Psalm focused on how God is so patient and kind despite the fact that people are so terrible. And it really is true. Lord, thank you that you're so patient to us. You're so kind to us. Lord, when we look at other people and their sins, we are merciful to them because you're merciful to them. And Lord, be merciful to us as well for our own sins. Lord, we don't blame anyone. We know that we all have the same struggles as people. We all want to find you. We all want to be happy and have good lives. Lord, give us grace that we might find our lives and our purpose and our meaning, our identity and our everything in you. Amen.